Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Mo Mandel is a stand-up comedian who created and executive produces Comedy Knockout for True TV, where comics zing each other and try to win over the studio audience. Before that, he hosted True TV's Varmageddon and appeared more than 40 times on the panel with Chelsea Lately. You've seen Mo as a co-star on such TV series as Modern Family, Castle, and Happy Endings, on his own in a half-hour Comedy Central special, and an hour special that debuted on CISO but is now on Amazon called Negative Reinforcement. And you can hear Mo on a podcast he co-hosts with his girlfriend, Dr. Ashley, called The Full Release. Mo has been a veteran of Comedy Central contests, but we're all winners at Montreal's Just for Laughs Festival, where Mo and I met up in July 2018. So let's get to it! Exactly Loveline, basically. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to pretend like it's any different. Mo Vandell. Sean Um, L. McCarthy. We finally meet after, well, we've met before, but we finally meet with microphones. Yeah, I've been waiting for us to get some phallic microphones in each other's hands and just really find out where things can go between us. And now we're beginning that adventure. (laughs) This this sex talk of yours is really... Well, uh, we were just talking about my sex podcast that I'm doing, and so I, yeah, I guess it was on my mind, and you just, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we're off on the right track. Yes. Um, well, we're at uh, Just for Laughs in Montreal, uh-huh. which um, gets everyone off track. Well, because you stay up to like, like usually as a comic, I mean, I'm sober, so like I, I don't ever go out past like the show being done. Mm-hmm. And then you get in Montreal and you're out till five in the morning every night. And it's weird. You kind of forget that you're not 23 anymore. <laughs> and then as soon as you wake up the next morning, you're like, oh, I remember. Yeah, How old were you the first time you came to Montreal? Uh, it was 2008, so I don't know. I guess late 20s. Was that New Faces? Or? New Faces, yeah. It was awesome. That was a really fun time. What? Although it's like terrifying at the same time. I was going to say, what's it? how is it now compared to the first time you came? Well, the first time you're terrified, yet everyone's like super excited about everything you do. You know what I mean? Like I had a good New Faces seven minutes and the Hollywood Reporter wrote like, Mo Mandel stands out at New Faces. Ah. And then I feel like I've been here three other times and I could like kill on these shows and no one's like, nah, get a shit. Let's go to the high and get drunk. <laughs> like no one really cares. Like New Faces, you get to be like really exciting for having accomplished absolutely nothing. Right. And then once you have accomplished things, people are like, yeah, but you're not Kevin Hart yet, so we don't really give a shit. Now, did you have to audition multiple times for New Faces, or did you get it the first Twice. year? So I, that was my second year audition. Okay. Yeah. Um, which I was like super bummed I didn't get it the first year, but I was once I did it, I was like, oh, I'm really glad I didn't because I would have sucked. Right. New Faces is one. It's not like an easy show. You know, it's like it's like this big exciting thing. You're up there, and then it's all industry judging you. And I've seen a lot of people like really eat a dick pretty hard. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I try to tell people either who who get it after a long time or or who haven't got it i'm like you actually want to wait until you're yeah ready to capitalize on it although what's interesting to see being able to look back on it now is like so many of the people who have the biggest careers from my group had very bad sets (laughs) and it it really means nothing (laughs) you know like like okay i got my start by winning comedy central's open mic fight in 2007 right beating such uh 
successful comedians as Hannibal Burris, Baron Vaughn, Theo Vaughn, uh, all the Vaughns. Uh, but <laughs> but you know, it's like these guys have like much bigger careers than I do now. And you're like, well, it's like things are things go up and down in this business. You know, it's yeah. not like a linear kind of path. Um, well, we're just gonna keep going backward then. Open mic fight. Yeah. Was. Was that the one where you submitted by mail, or was it, there was a one? I remember there was. Yeah, you did submit by mail. Where you yeah, put a videotape in the mail. You did. Yeah. Matter of fact, the first time I did Craig Ferguson, I got my set on a VHS tape. I guess that means I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, my thing was pretty cool, man. I like won that. I got like ten grand, which like I was basically a taco employee at a taco shop so it would have taken me 50 years of working there to make 10 grand so that gave me enough little uh where, know, where was this san francisco that's where okay. i started yeah so i had a little money and then i was able to go down to la and then uh you know get going because of that contest that i actually was... found out i got a call from ann harris at comedy central telling me i won while i was bartending in a brunch shift and i like found out i'd won 10 grand and then i had to hang up and go back to bartending for seven hours <laughs> But is that when you go, okay, I can quit this job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, like, I moved to L.A., and six months later, I was like, I'm all out of money. I think I might have to get another job. And then, luckily, I booked something right at the last minute, so I didn't have to. So when you moved to L.A., you didn't have, like, a um, social network, or for lack of a better term, or like a... Not a really. I mean, I knew a few people. from San Francisco, or, or... Well, I was one of the first ones from my sort of clique to kind of move down there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew a few people, but like what I came to find really quickly is just having like opened and featured and stuff over the years, I kind of did know more people than I thought. But yeah, it was pretty weird the first like six months, you know, you're just down there, nothing to, you know, no like job, mm-hmm. you know, you're just sort of like getting your foot in a million doors at the same time and yet not really. In it. I found I remember thinking like coming to Hollywood's like being like a little sperm and there's this giant egg and you're just like, how the fuck do I get in there? You know, you see everything happening, but you're just sort of like driving around aimlessly from gym to coffee shop mm-hmm. to a shitty apartment. Well, in 2007, was it, was it Comedy Central's open mic fight? Was that enough of a of a credit to get you in? Yeah, well, like the improv or the yeah, store yeah. It, or the it ended up getting me a great manager who was just sort of starting out uh, on his own, but he was with a great company, and now he's like he's very uh, like he's done very well, and we're still work together. And so he was really hungry and, and able to do some things, but you know, you can. It's like you can never have never have enough going on down there, you know. It was enough to like, yeah, you're you're kind of something's going on, but it was still not enough to be like, oh, come do this show, you know what I mean? It was enough to kind of give you five minutes on like a decent show. Okay. You know, we had an audience member just for people listening, and, and he <laughs> listened for two minutes and then walked away to bum a cigarette. <laughs> so we bored the shit out of him. Hopefully, we're doing better with you guys. Uh, but it's kind of crazy. I won that competition, and I got this manager, and then we've right. like literally he was on the beginning of his career, so on the beginning of mine. We stayed together ever since, and we're still like rock and rolling. So it's been cool. What did you th- think was going to happen when you when you won that, or or when you got new faces? Did you did you expect like did you fall into fall prey to that that uh, comedy Hollywood dream that oh I'm going to get the development deal and I'm going to have my sitcom? I did get a development deal actually, and it went really good and then from it, new faces well I don't know if it was directly from that but I got a lot of excitement I had written a pilot I'd written a few pilots and uh, one of them ended up getting to FX and they bought it off the script and so I don't think it was directly off new faces but it, new faces gave me enough juice that they came to see me at the improv do a half hour and then that went really well and they read the script they liked it and they bought it and then I ended up selling them another pilot like a few years later so like while it didn't lead to the big you know thing that time mm-hmm. it, you know it kind of pushed the needle forward and, and were these 
semi-autobiographical Mo, Mo Mandel show scripts, or were I, these more narrative or genre shows? The first thing I wrote was very autobiographical, um, which got a lot of attention, but never sold. And so then I wrote something else that was just a little more, you know, it was very funny, but it wasn't like directly tied to my, my mm-hmm. life. But then later on, I actually took that original concept, which is about my father being a psychiatrist, raising me, who was a kid with a ton of emotional problems, and was able to resell that later on. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's always the best thing. If you can write about yourself, you know, um, the problem is as you become a comedian, you have, you, your life gets very, very narrow <laughs> and the things that you do aren't that relatable, you know right. what I mean? So it's like kind of hard to write about yourself. I'm going to write about myself sitting in a fucking hotel in Dayton waiting to do a show. Like it's not really, uh, although now by 2018, we've seen several waves of shows about comedians. <laughs> I know, which just always blows my mind. I don't watch any of those shows. No offense to any of them. I just like the last thing I want to do is watch something about comedy. I feel like that's the only thing in this world I know. So I'd rather watch something about the cartels or, or anything other than people doing stand-up. Well, then how then did you decide to pitch Comedy Knockout? Well, that was actually... That's a, I mean, it's but a, that's not a narrative no, thing. No, I mean, no, that's how, like, I like watching comedy. I don't like watching narrative stories about comedians' lives. I feel like did, I know that. How did you come upon that as the, the idea? Comedy Knockout on True was a... Uh, well, it's, it's not roasting. It's no. It's it's sort of like it's sort of like you know it was from doing Chelsea lately all these years, and I would sort of get annoyed at comics who would get up there and suck. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was always like, they should be punished for that. You know what I mean? Like they should. You should be specifically allowed. on Chelsea. Yeah, there's so the many comics. On the panel so many are... comics on there were just sort of like because they were her friend, or they right. could kind of like charm their way through the panel. They would go up there and just say crappy jokes, mm-hmm. and sort of I was always like, this is dumb. You're on TV, like. Even if the crowd likes it, it's just kind of irritating to me that like you're just like that's what you want to go on TV and say, you know? I don't know. I'm like uh, kind of a fucking asshole, I guess. But I was like, you should have to. Right. You should have to lately zone in the air. Yeah, anymore. yeah. Fuck it. You know, you should have to. You should have to pay and the Chelsea's price. Not on Netflix anymore. So and she didn't book fun. me by the end of that show anyway, so fuck <laughs> it. But she should have to. Um, we should. She should. You know, you should have to pay the price. So I, I, I love the idea of comedy knockout. That you know, you have to literally roast yourself at the end of it. I think it's such a funny thing to do. Like to well, have thing, to. Well, actually, the thing I like that the most is the fact that they don't write it. No, we write it. You yeah. write you write something yeah. that they have to say and they ha- they haven't seen it Never before. Never said it. You know, it's such a great I mean cuz I used to work out that show at Flappers in Hollywood uh, Burbank and just the first time I just wrote up like a general like I suck monologue for a comedian to read just seeing the 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 like the embarrassment in their face having to read something like that mm-hmm. just I was like oh this is a really good concept because you it's just so fun seeing someone squirm having to say something bad about themselves because comedians it's always that weird thing where like you can say you can call their mom a cunt and they don't care but if you criticize their segue they're going to get fucking angry about it you know it's like the act is the only thing that their their self-esteem's invested in you know so to put that on the chopping block I think is the most interesting how did okay so you mentioned starting was Flappers the first place to do it yeah that was the first place I started doing it that's in Burbank yeah I was doing the small room so like literally we were doing it from like 15 people and did you start it with the idea of making it a TV show? Well, to be honest, I that... already sold it, and then I wanted to work out the concept. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I already had this idea for a long time, and and um, it was actually quite different than what's on TV now. Mm-hmm. You know, it, was, it was a lot more... Yeah, what was the pitch in the room? It was a lot of... There's a lot... There's a lot, many more elements to it, you know? It was a lot of, like, sort of, like, recurring sort of characters that would sort of be a part of some of the games. We had... It was a much more, like, kind of MTV 90s style. It was kind of sticky mm-hmm. a little bit, and, like, there was a lot of, like, the loser... I mean, the, the winner got to sit on, like, a giant throne and got a little puppy that he got to pet while he watched the person eviscerate themselves. It was a lot of kind of, like, funny, goofy shit like that that kind of, you know, I would... I wish those could have remained 
mentioned in the show, but mm-hmm. they sort of just ultimately didn't through development. You know, that's just how it goes. But um, yeah, we'll let Nick Cannon's Wild and Out handle all that. I mean, yeah, but I mean, all, <laughs> all the, the over the top yeah, stuff. The over the top stuff that's lasted 15 years. <laughs> but I mean, like, whatever. That's just how development works. You know what I mean? You have the ideas and people, and maybe they're right. You never know. Like, right. you, you, the thing is, you never, you could always say, oh, it would have been better with my stuff, but you don't really know. You only know what's on TV. So, um, so I want to. When you, when, you, when you actually worked it out on stage, what did you find? Well, I like, you, you learn a lot of stuff. Like, at first, we wanted to have, like, physical punishments, you know, okay. like people having to really humiliate themselves. But then you realize you can't get really good comedians to agree to that, you know? Sure. And it's sort of like, it felt a little broad actually doing it. But um, I don't have any problem with broad in terms of these kind of panel shows. I think, like, hey, J.P. Buck, Booker of Conan, how are you, sir? I'm just going to do a little networking. <laughs> I'm doing networking while we're on the podcast. You want to do live networking? Oh, we could do that. So how are you doing? How's your wife? Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> oh, it's great. Do you have a t- good time at Comic-Con? Oh, Comic-Con was less sweaty than uh, Just for Laughs. Ah, oh, sweat. I love sweat, too. We have a lot in common. I'll send you my next tape for Conan. Oh, oh, this networking is fantastic. <laughs> you say top, 20, top 25 networking at Montreal? I'm going to go maybe top five. Wow. See, he paused for a bit, so I thought he was going to say top 20, but JP oh. brought it back with that top five, and that was success. JP is, a, JP is one of the top creators in comedy. I love so. JP. So even just getting him on the microphone success. is Success. JPBuck.com. <laughs> JP, actually, before I got Montreal, he was the booker of um, the Aspen Comedy Festival. Yes, that's where I this, met him. This is a great story. So I was at the Punchline doing a... Uh, I was opening. I was an opener there, and I got um, in I San got, Francisco yeah, or Sacramento, got, San Francisco, <laughs> and I got asked to be on the by the Booker. Molly asked me to be on the showcase for Aspen, which mm-hmm. was a big deal because you know, right? But before, uh, up until 2007, there were competing new faces. Yeah, Montreal had new faces, and then HBO's Aspen Festival. Yeah. They didn't call it new faces. They just but it was equal. It was but, the same thing. If you did one, you couldn't do the other. Right. So in San Francisco, you only ever had two options to be seen by anybody every year, and it was Montreal or Aspen. Mm-hmm. And so I got asked to be on the Aspen one, and uh, I was very excited about that. And then the week before, Robert Schimmel, uh, rest in peace, was at the punchline, mm-hmm. and the aggressive little motherfucker that I am, I went into the green room and managed a way to chat with him and mm-hmm. asked him if I could do a guest set on the show, and he said, yeah. And then the manager, not Molly, the other manager, found out I had gone into the green room uninvited, and even Robert, though Robert was cool with it, he was like super pissed and he wouldn't let me do the guest set and then they yanked me off the Aspen thing. Wow. And then Molly was like, all right, I'll let you host it. So you're not technically auditioning, but you get to be up there. And mm-hmm. then I was one of the two people that JP asked to come down to LA. So that was pretty cool. That wow. was a good like, fuck you to the asshole guy who yanked me off. Right. Or well, maybe was, he was doing his job. That was, I don't know. That was actually like bottom 25 networking experiences. But then well, it, worked, but it worked out for you in the end. It was, you, yeah, but it, I always feel like, I mean, look. Networking with Schimmel, yeah. Not good. I wish I had more of that. I don't do that kind of stuff anymore. I used to be way more like, you know, gangbusters about this whole thing. And now I'm sort of like, I don't know. I don't do those kind of like things anymore. I used to really wish, do those But you those wish things. you did? You wish you were one of those? Yeah, I do. Because I In think- In your face, ambitious go-getters? Why not? I mean, like, I didn't do anything annoying to him. I just sort of like went. I just mm-hmm. was like, fuck it. I know I'm good. I know I'm going to do well. I know you'll like me once I'm on stage. And, and, and he would have. You know, I, I think you get to a certain point where you hear no a lot and you're like, mm-hmm. okay, well, that's that's what I deserve. And it's not true. You know, you just have to kind of reconvince people. I mean, look at how many fucking people's careers have sucked in this business. And then everyone thinks they're great once they book something big. I mean, it's fucking pathetic the way so many people in this business change their mind once everybody else has changed their mind. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've been in a in a fucking meeting with a producer or something. And they're like, oh, this guy's amazing. And I'm like, I look up. I'm like, oh, there was a deadline article about him yesterday. That's why you're excited about him you fucking p 
Keon. You know what I mean? So you have to kind of just remind people that you're talented. Right. And if you don't believe you are, then you shouldn't be doing this, you know? But Okay, so so let's let's press this issue then. So if a young comic you've never heard of comes up to you and tries to put the hard sell on you to get on Comedy Knockout. I'll blackball them from True TV. I'll blackball them from True TV. I don't know. React? You're right. I don't know. How I mean, are you going to react? Well, you know, if, I'll tell you this. It's happened, mm-hmm. and um, I never look at their stuff for the most part, but a few guys who I can kind of get a sense, mm-hmm. just in the way they care themselves, that they probably, there might be something there. Mm-hmm. I've watched, and it has helped a few people. Okay. You know, it's helped a few people get writing jobs. Um, I don't know. You have to have the tact to it. I mean, I didn't fucking run up to Robert Schimmel like a fucking idiot. I just sort of chatted with him. He could see that I was a clever guy. And, you know, look, he was the audience there. It's not like Schimmel had any of the game by saying, yes, you can do a guest set. He said yes because he probably got the sense that I was a comedian. You know what I mean? So if he would have been like, get the fuck away from me, you know, look, I understand what you're saying. You don't want to be that obnoxious, over-the-top guy. Right. But at the same time, you don't want to be the guy who's like, hey, it's up to you guys when I get stuff. No, you know, I know what I can do, and I've demonstrated it, and I'm going to, like, I'm going to just hammer on doors until I don't want to do it anymore, you know? Now, you've, you've hosted shows before. Yeah. Even on True, but you decided not to host Comedy Knockout. Well, I don't think I decided. It was like a very much like a you know I would I had been hosting a show for them, Barmageddon, mm-hmm. and then uh, I had hosted like a couple of specials and I hosted other stuff. So I was already hosting Barmageddon when I pitched Comedy Knockout. Okay. So you know, look, I would have loved to have hosted it, but by the time the thing got ready to go, but Barmageddon had gotten canceled, and I think it's a big ass to be like, let me go directly from one show that didn't really. Mm-hmm become a rating smash to you know another one and i mean he looks a million reasons i mean there was there was an opportunity to say all right mm-hmm. we're gonna go somewhere they will absolutely host but i need the money and i wanted to get some on tv and i believe in the show and uh you know i'm pretty proud of how good it's done we've almost done 100 episodes so nice. ideal world sure i would have hosted it could i have walked away yes did i know if anyone was gonna say yes come host it mm-hmm. no so I, you know, I took the the opportunity. They said, you know, if we could find the right guy, we'll pick this up for 10 episodes. It's really hard to do. I mean, how many comedians do you know who have gotten a show on television that have lasted almost 100 episodes? Very, That's a very small number. Right. So, and, and I have another show that I just sold, an adult animation that I'm really excited about, to uh, one of the big streaming services that we're just, you know, getting rocking on now. And I think it's really helped me kind of push forward in other regards. How true is the, since you had sold stuff before, yeah. even 10 years ago, how true is the uh, conventional wisdom in show business that even failing to get a show on the air gets well, you gets you up the ladder because you're in the I don't really consider it failing because line. think about it like a baseball player who strikes out seven times and gets three hits mm-hmm. is batting 300 and he's a superstar you know if you fail meaning they don't ever want to work with you again that's a failure but the fact that they bought your pitch well not just they whether, bought it but if it the, comes out it, well like FX didn't make my first pitch mm-hmm. thing but it, I fucking crushed the script so three years later they bought another one and I crushed that one and they were really into hearing this new thing that I wrote mm-hmm. you know they didn't end up buying it but like they wanted to still hear would you have to say now if you I've had other ones where they haven't gone that well that's a failure you know but if you do good and they people want to hear your other one like you know NBC bought something from off me and then the next year they try to buy something else and end up selling it to Fox but you know but, but what I guess what I'm saying is so few percentage of things that end up even getting made right. is so minuscule you can't think of it as a failure right. unless it's not well executed because think about it when it comes down to what they're going to make a pilot out of 
you know, even comedy knockout. That's true TV looking at what do we got, what kind of hosts we got, what kind of time slot do we have to fill. So it's like it's a million factors that are going to go into it other than just your creative output on that. You know, so you kind of you can't really. I, I don't know. I don't think you think about it. You have to, especially with the script. The script can right. stand for itself. Right, because the whole development, the annual development season. It's like ridiculous. It's, it's how first, many they buy compared start, to how many they make. It starts now in late yeah. July, early yeah. August, where they start buy, making deals, uh, and then they go to buying scripts, and then they go to ordering pilots. Look how many films a director does in their career. It's usually like six mm-hmm. or something like that, you know? You think they literally want to make a movie every eight years? No, they're like trying mm-hmm. and they're just not happening. And, and how many failed, quote unquote, failed projects are they developing that don't go? No, it's just that's just kind of how it, it takes a long time, you know? So I think having got almost 100 episodes of television produced out of the amount of projects I've sold is fucking way better than 99% of people who've been trying to sell shows. You does, know what I mean? Does it, that also make it take a lot of the pressure off of yourself to make those next things to go, well, no, I, I always have, put pressure on I myself. I have a successful show and that, that can live on because I have so many episodes they can rerun them. I think it only takes pressure or, off yourself is where I'm like, I know how to do this now. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's not just selling the show. I think I had to sell that show three times to get on the air. I had to sell it to get the pilot made. I had to sell it to do it with a different host. I had to sell it to get them to pick it up for a second season by making changes. I mean, it's like, you, you realize that you can creatively be fluid and make things happen. And, you know, obviously, I don't want to take all the credit. There's a million other producers at work on it. We have an excellent showrunner, right. great studio. So there's every, I'm just talking about myself in terms of everyone involved in the project. But coming off that, it's like, you have the you know it's like you know you can do it but I'm an insecure person so I put pressure myself constantly to to achieve shit you know but it's not like a stand up who's working the road who doesn't have any of those things no but plenty of fucking stand ups who are working the road make a shitload more money than I do like friends of mine who have just stayed on the road doing then you know it's like you know you, you go where the, the doors are open for you you know like I have a lot of friends who have never gotten the show busy opportunities or haven't been able to, to do that but they just sat there in their stupid apartment doing their podcast and now they're making fucking $12,000 a week I mean it's you just gotta you, you lower your head and just mm-hmm. move forward on whatever is in front of you you know so what's in front of you? Well, I'm really excited about this animation that I just sold, that I'm mm-hmm. writing, and I got uh, my friend who wrote Wonder Woman is um, producing it, so uh, it's been great to kind of like dig into his brain creatively and, and see sort of his, his work ethic is like, his name's Jason Fuchs, and it's just through the roof, like the guy just knows how to produce in an incredible way. So uh, I'm excited about that, writing a feature right now uh, that he's also producing, and I just shot this really cool um, thing that Conan O'Brien's company produced that is being shot. Through. We shot a whole series, and uh, it was going to be on Go90, but Go90 oh, right, now, Go90 just yeah. went down. But it went down before it was delivered, mm-hmm. and so I'm actually excited because now this thing is through Warner Brothers and Conan's company. It's being shopped, and I have a feeling it's going to end up somewhere good. It's really good. Oh, that reminds me, like, uh, looking through the, the, J- the JFL bio for you mentioned stand-up special on Amazon. Yeah. Was that somewhere else? It then? was on CISO, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's so many of these fucking networks now, you know, these, like, things. So, yeah, I shot it. it was, I was one of the original ones, me, Joey Diaz. Doug Stanhope, Nick Thune, mm-hmm. and then um, before CISA went under, it was already on Amazon Prime. And it's okay. been seen by a shitload of people on Prime, which when is because it's on C- for free. When so. you got the CISO deal, what did you think? Did you? Well, I didn't get the CISO I got a deal through Comedy Dynamics. Okay. And so they paid me, and they produced a special, and then mm-hmm. CISO's the people who bought it. You okay. Know? Um, obviously, I wish it would have ended up on Netflix or Showtime, where I thought I had a pulse at, but uh, it didn't, so, you know. 
but get, did it you, gets out there. But did you have yeah. any? Did you have any sense of like uh, that? CISA was not going to last. I didn't. Th- I like, didn't. Just quite honestly, I didn't really quite understand. Um, all right, man. Yeah, we're, we're getting some uh, <laughs> love from a guy in a big hat. Yeah. I, uh, I I didn't particularly understand the business model. Mm-hmm. It seemed like the most n- narrowly curated type of comedy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like right. Like I didn't really quite know who. It seemed like the well, a few things. It seemed like so narrow in terms of what type of comedy they were going after. Right. It which wasn't is like, all comedy. It, it was. It was the most alt alt comedy you can imagine. Right. Which I don't belong on any of that. So I, I don't really know how I ended up on there. And it was like that's the complete wrong fan base for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also and Joey Coco Diaz. Yeah, it didn't. That doesn't make any <laughs> sense. But also, it's just like. Who the fuck wants to even put their credit? Like, I don't get a Macy's card because I don't want to put my cre- I don't want another credit card thing. Mm-hmm. So who wants to put their credit, their you know, their information on another site? Right. Even if it's only three ninety nine a month, it's still like I don't fucking want to do that. Right. There's too much shit on Netflix already that you can watch. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not a business guy like that. I don't know what that really means. So that, so that it ended up on Amazon was a blessing, and, and it's still somewhere to see it. But yeah. that also like, did you have nothing to do with the business? No, side I don't. Of that? Do You're that. just like. I mean, you know, the producers owns it, so what am okay. I gonna do? Yeah, but you know, I'm glad it's out there. That's it was two years ago that I shot that at least, so I, I'm much happier. Where I have a whole other hour now, but I don't want to release it until I get a good offer, or you know, because I, I just don't think it's worth putting the material out there in a way that no one's gonna really see. I'd rather just release an album on my own, you know, figure out a way to invest in some great YouTube videos to get it seen, but just, just sort of sell it and let it end up somewhere. I think, you know. I wouldn't do that again. And you mentioned uh, your your buddies who might not be show busy but can make uh, plenty of bank with a podcast at home. Yeah. How has your own view of podcasting changed? Well, I'm really excited about this new one that I'm doing. Have you um, done one before? Uh, yeah, actually, before I sold Comedy Knockout, I did one which was kind of the inspiration for Comedy Knockout called Mo vs. the World, okay. where I would have a different comedian each week come on, and the goal was for them to be funnier than me, and the <laughs> crowd would vote in on Twitter on who was the funniest. Okay. And, um Ivan Reitman's daughter, Catherine Reitman, was our was like the co-host, and okay. she was like the moderator. She's fucking amazing. I love Catherine. And um, and anyway, so now I'm doing this podcast with my girlfriend, who's a urologist and a doctor of sexual medicine, and it's called the Full Release. And it's basically like uh, Loveline, you know, where we're, you know we take uh, calls, mm-hmm. and and uh, it's really fucking cool. And she's a she's a fucking brilliant surgeon, so she can answer all these kind of sexual medicine questions, and then we you know, we answer relationship questions, and um, we're having a lot of fun with that. So it's do the you feel full like release. That's, do you feel like that's also more? Oh, and this week, I'm sorry, I just got to plug yeah. this, but this week we interviewed, or I interviewed a swinger couple who literally has banged Ron Jeremy in a three-way and they describe that so it's a fucking this episode is killer it's called (laughs) Meet the Swingers on the full release (laughs) now um, since your first one was comedy based and this one is is about sex um, what's the difference no no (laughs) what's the difference between sex and comedy do you feel (laughs) do you feel that doing a podcast like this now that there's 10,000 700 trillion podcasts yeah do you feel like having a podcast that's not about comedy works in your favor in terms of I just getting, I, I don't like to hurt. talk I mean this is fun chatting with you but I don't really like to talk about comedy that much I, it's not something I find that like mm-hmm. it's I, I know certain people love it like I said before like that's not something I want to talk about day in and day out because I do talk about it day in and day out <laughs> so I'd love to have a chance to learn something else right. you know what I mean but in terms of people listening to the podcast I don't think there's just too many comedy podcasts I can't get famous people on my podcast the way other people can so while that's not like I just that's not why I'm not doing a comedy podcast because like just truly it's not 
creatively I like to do comedy and then I like to just talk or think about other things but I think yeah I do think you have to find a unique niche I don't think just comics talking to comics who know other comics is really gonna do it anymore you know I know the full release is still new. Have you found it uh, easy or difficult to get? I mean, it's to break through the, the the noise of podcasts. It's absolutely been difficult, but the fans that we have gotten seem mm-hmm. super into it. Like they call in every week, they have questions, they email. You know, while we haven't been able to find big numbers by any means, we haven't been able to get on to a big. Anyway, I've been on the road all summer, so I haven't been able to like, and that's kind of when we've been sort of doing this. I haven't been able to like really try to get on the other podcast to like okay. get the word out. But I'm very happy. With creatively where it is, and um, I think that's the number one thing. You know, ultimately, it will find something else. It's not like all my eggs are in this basket. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend's a surgeon, so she's not like I need that podcast money to pay the rent. You know what I mean? So it's something we enjoy doing, and we get to connect with uh, in a way that I think is good for a relationship. And um, you know, another iron in the fire. You know, and something that I think keeps me creatively motivated. Right. Before I let you go, I want to ask, what would you tell if if a 22-year-old bartender in San Francisco who's funny and deep down knows there's something more to his life. What kind of advice would you give? Everybody gets good and gets... If, if you're good and, and you have even an inkling of, like, real, uh, you know, r- talent that you can feel inside, like, you will you will get those things that you see ahead of you. You know what I mean? You just have to always think of the big, big picture. Don't be mad that you're not getting a spot at fucking this club or that club because that's not where you want to be in 10 years anyway. You know what I mean? No, you want to be here in Montreal. Yeah, and also <laughs> just look how many people's careers got going later. There's not, there's not as much of a rush as there used to be. The industry only makes up 10% of what you accomplish in this business and that's the reality of it. You know, there's a lot of people who they got written off and then they recreate themselves in their own way. You know, I think through social media and stuff, which, you know, I have a resentful relationship with because that's not been somewhere I've found easy to break through on, nor am I young enough to really find it all that exciting. And, mm-hmm. But through social media, the, the curtain's been pulled on the Wizard of Oz of Hollywood where you realize that it's the crowd who's picking who makes it ultimately. You know what I mean? And so while all this networking shit's great, you know, it's never like, it's not the be all end all. Dan Cummins is a friend of mine who I was just working with. He's got a great podcast called Time Suck. And he moved to Idaho. And then he started doing the podcast, and now he's drawn ten times as many people as he's been drawn. So, you know, who's to say what's going to be your big break? Yeah. Sean, you're a wonderful man. I feel honored to be interviewed by you. Um, you so if you write a negative review of my performance on your podcast, <laughs> that's going to really irritate me. Um, but, you know, it is your site, so you can do whatever you want. Thank you so but much, But if Mel. you give me a negative review on this podcast, <laughs> me and my girlfriend will give you a negative sexual review on the full release. Well, I have a negative sex life, so it's... Uh Maybe, right. maybe I should be a guest on your podcast. Why don't you call in for some advice? Then? <laughs> Will do. Thank you so much, man. All right, man. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave. Logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.